13, thank you. Is that in something I have? Okay. Oh, you could sign up. And they're all going to Heart of Saginaw. And uh, we're wanting to do 200 turkeys, so 55 now. Okay, so uh, any of you that want to connect with us to do that, that'd be great. Um, if you're online and you want to communicate and you're not coming to the services, um, please let our online pastor know and we will make sure to get you, at least we have an idea how many that uh, are going to be there because we're going to get 200 turkeys. So, all right. So anyways, I've been spending a lot of time in prayer and this message on find the silver lining uh, has really, uh, for me, has really spoken to my heart uh, because it's just looking into the things that as we hear probably every week, some new discouraging thing that we're getting, you know, is it ever going to end? You just start feeling like things are so crazy. Uh, let's just set aside politics for a minute and talk about the COVID stuff that's going on, you know, and uh, the, the challenges. Um, you know, now they're starting to say don't have Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm sure Christmas will be right on the heels of that. No candlelight services. There, Easter was already, uh, we already had to preempt that because of all of that. Schools that are closing down uh, all over the place. And so it can get a little overwhelming. I pray for our parents that are having to figure out new math for the first time in their life. And uh, yeah, when we only know old math. And, uh, you know, just all of the challenges and trying to keep all our kids moving forward with an education, working in cooperation with the teachers. And, and uh, the teachers are under a lot of pressure. It's tough for them and uh, trying to figure out. They're trying to use technology, some of them, for the first time uh, in their life. And not everybody, well, one, not everybody belongs on technology. It was true, right? Not everybody does. So, I mean, and so it's really a challenge for them. But I'm not telling you anything you're not dealing with every single day and the things that you hear and you hear through other people. But how do we as Christians respond in the middle of everything that's going on around us and what we see and what is, you know, what is discouraging to us and what is disheartening to us? Well, first of all, let me, let me, uh, let me make a real strong statement. The only one that once you discouraged is the devil. That's it, period, okay? God is not like testing you, so just knock that nonsense out. You're not being tested by God. You're being tested by life. You're being tested by an adversary that is just trying everything to try to put you down, keep you oppressed, keep you blocked. I'll, read, I'll tell you a verse, uh, Acts 10.38. You don't have to turn there, but Acts 10.38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Keep that word oppressed in your mind for a moment. All those who are oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Okay, so Jesus went around doing good, not oppressing people. Jesus went around trying to help people, deliver people, to show the people what the Father God is really like. Because a lot of people thought that God was, you know, sitting in heaven with a smite button, just smiting people. Smite, 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 smite. You're out, you're out, you're out, you're out. You did wrong, you're out, you're out, you're out. And uh, Jesus didn't go around smiting people. Jesus went around healing people that, that had been smitten by life. Now, the word oppressed there, and I want you to think about this. The word oppressed there in the Greek language, it means that um, to take dominion over. So here's what I want you to get in your thinking. 
Right now, what you're dealing with is something that is trying to take dominion over you. We don't use that word dominion a lot, so let's say it like this. It's trying to take control over you. Trying to take control. And what you and I, we have to realize is that we're not just fighting through. We're not just saying, suck it up. We're not saying that you need to be tougher. That is not the right answer. The answer is we need to turn to God. We need to cry out to the Lord. We need to come set our face before him, and we need to allow him to fill us with his power. I talked about last week about how that, look, God said in his word in Corinthians that he would never let us go through anything, that there wouldn't always be a way of escape. Death is not that, I mean, get that out of your head. You know, people think, well, death, go to heaven that's the way of escape that is a way out but you're still here and you're not you're not dead are you just elbow the person I think we're allowed to elbow right elbow the person are you dead no you're alive so what's happening in and what you're what you're dealing with is is this controlling thing that's trying and it says The Bible tells us in Ephesians, it's the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There is a warfare that is going on. Now, we can spend the rest of our life thinking it's a natural warfare. or We can get focused that it's a spiritual warfare and we have authority in the spirit. So we need to take it. So how does the Christian find their way through all of this? You know, the Philippians, they dealt with all kinds of tragic things. They were under Roman oppression Um, They had all kinds of problems that were going on, persecution that was taking place in their their own community. Um, When Paul went there, you know, when he first went there, I mean, he ends up, uh, I mean, hardly anybody will listen to what he has to say. A woman named Lydia, she actually heard what he had to say. And then the Philippian jailer heard what he had to say. And that was pretty much this church when it started was just those people. And so these people have dealt with paganism and idolatry and they've dealt with the the sinful practices of society. And in the midst of all of that, Paul recognizes all this is going on by the Holy Spirit. And so he's like, let me help you guys. Let me me give you an answer. I'm going to give you the solution to, to face everything that you're dealing with. And it's found in Philippians chapter, it's found in Philippians chapter uh, four. And uh, you're going to love this. I can just tell you're just absolutely going to love this. Okay. So he says in Philippians chapter four and verse four. So here's the rules for living. Rejoice in the Lord always. What the heck? (laughs) What kind of answer is that? Well, brother, I'm really fighting a press. Rejoice in the Lord, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Stop saying that. Things aren't going the way I thought. Ah, Rejoice. He didn't say rejoice for the problem. He said rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in God, that you have God in your life, that God is with you, that he hasn't left you. So he says here, rejoice in the Lord always. Look to the Lord. Rejoice in him. And again, and then he finishes it again saying, and again, look, if you didn't get it the first time, again I say, rejoice. Rejoice. I mean, so many Christians today look like they've been stuck in a pickle jar for about 10 years. I mean, come on. We should be the happiest, joyful people on the face of the earth. 
Well, I don't know, Pastor. What do we have to be thankful for? Well, you're not going to hell for one. Number two, you're not going to hell. Number three, let me tell you again, you're not going to hell. Number four, guess what? You're a believer in Christ. You're not going to hell. Look, I want to tell you right now, if you didn't figure this out yet, this is the only hell you'll ever know in your whole life. For the person that doesn't have God, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. This is it. Because it don't get, look, it doesn't get better after death for them. For you as the believer, look, this is it. This is the battleground. This is where we're at. This is the fight that we're in. And we all get battle fatigued. We all get tired of dealing with it. We all just, you know, we just don't want to deal with it anymore. We're over COVID. I mean, a lot of people are just like, I'm over it. I don't care anymore. I don't care. I just don't care. I don't care. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know. I'm over it. I'm just going to do whatever. I'm just tired of hearing about it. Turn the news off. Right? I mean, I mean, they're just tired of hearing about it. But look, you're still in the world. You still got to deal with the world. You're going to get up tomorrow morning, go to work, and you're going to be dealing with worldly people, right? Who feel it's their prerogative to tell you how bad it is in the world, right? So here's the thing. The answer for the Christian is rejoice. I love this in, in Wiest, who was a, a Greek scholar. He, he took this verse and, and he really broke it down, this verse 4, and he said it like this. And I'll, I'll help you understand why it's like this. Be rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say, be rejoicing. The reason that he says it like this is because in the Greek language, it's in what's called the present imperative, okay? So in the present imperative, what it means is, is that you have made a commitment to a long-term way of doing something. You've made a commitment. I mean, let me ask you, and don't answer, but how deep is your commitment here to God? I mean, is it as only as good as the next bad thing that comes along? I mean, how deep is your relationship with the Lord? Is it only that if he does everything that you demand of him to do, you're on his side, but the minute it doesn't turn out the way that you thought he should do things, you're out. Or you're going to pout about it at least for a while. Wow, that's good preaching, Pastor. Be rejoicing. It means to... A commitment to a long-term way of doing something. That's all in the Greek here. It's a command to keep on doing an action as a habit. Make it your habit to rejoice in whatever's going on. Not because it's going on. Not going, oh, I just rejoice God for COVID. That isn't ex anything even near what, I'm, what he was saying or I'm saying. You rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You rejoice because no matter what goes on in life, he will never leave you nor forsake you. You rejoice because you have an advocate with the Father and your Lord Jesus Christ. You rejoice because you serve under an open heaven that you can go to God and it's not brass that he cannot hear you. You rejoice because you can have confidence in life because this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will. We know that he hears us and if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we have desired of him. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. We rejoice because, as it says in Psalm 1, in verse 3, that we are blessed. We are a blessed people. We have more to rejoice over than we do that not to rejoice over. Rejoicing is a choice that you make. It's not a feeling that you have. 
I choose to rejoice. I don't like it, but I choose to rejoice. I don't like what's going on in, my, in the world right now, but I choose to rejoice in the Lord because I'm not letting anything that happens here stop me from getting where, being with him who is there. I'm not going to shut heaven because I don't like what's going on in my life right now. I'm going to run to the, to the Savior, run to the altars, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need. Because I'm in a time of need. You're in a time of need. I love the one song, if I ever needed you, God, man, right now, I need you. If I ever needed you, God, this is the time I, I really, really, I need you. So he says, rejoice, rejoice. The Greek word rejoice is a, the word kareo. It's a sister word to the word charis, which is the word that we use for grace. It's God's un, unmerited favor, obviously, for, by some definitions, but it's God's ability to give you, the, the, the ability that God gives you to fulfill what the word says. Grace is God gifting you with what you need to do what he said you should do. I'm glad, Chuck, that we don't serve in will worship. It's not just about how strong our will is. I already proved that I couldn't live that life by getting drunk all the time and trying to quit and getting drugged all the time and couldn't quit. It's not will worship. He gives us the gift, the ability, the grace that we need in our lives to rejoice in whatever circumstances that we find. It doesn't mean we have to like what's going on, but it does mean that our perspective is not the same as the world's perspective. Now, I want you to think about this. You know, when we deal with death in our lives, we gain a heaven perspective real quick. Now, we don't think about it too much with family and stuff and, you know, and friends until they're gone. And then when they're gone, how does our perspective change? We hold truths that are from the word of God, that we know that as a believer, they're with the Father in heaven. We know that we hold these truths, that we will see them again. And that's the only thing. And, and we know that he's prepared a place for them and for us when we get there. Amen. So any of you have lost anyone you've been close to, and I'm sure all of us have in some way or another, that, that there are heavenly things. You gain a heaven perspective in it. So in the midst of the darkest moments of despair and gloom that you might deal with over grief that, of this person being gone, how do you bounce back? You bounce back because you're rejoicing in what you know is the truth from God's word. You're not delusional. You're thinking of something that is greater than what you see. You know, I've dealt with, I've buried some people in this church. It was really hard for me. I was, you know, some, some members you're real close to, some members you're not as close to, but I had some that I was very, very close with. And it was hard for me when I, when I did their funerals and when I said the things that I said. Sometimes I broke down because of it. Here's the thing. But my perspective is always with every one of them that I know they're not gone. I know exactly where they are. They're not lost. They've been found. They're in heaven with the Lord. My mind is set on that and that when he comes, I will see them again because just as they're with him, I will go to be with him. And when I go to be with him, they're there waiting for me right now. 
And just to get your whole perspective, you and I, we're dragging through time here on earth. Their time is completely different in eternity. You know, the Bible says that a thousand years is but a day in the sight of the Lord. So when we get to heaven and we're just like, man, it just seemed like a long time before I saw you. They're like, what? It was only like a second. That's the mindset that God calls us to. How can we rejoice? How can we rejoice always? And again, I say rejoice because our perspective is set on something greater. God gives us, and as it is, God gives us the grace, the ability that we can deal with this. Have you asked God? Remember the verse we said, come boldly to the throne of grace because it's there that you get what you need. You get what you need to be able to deal with what you're dealing with. He goes on here in the, in the King James Version and says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's interesting as you look at these, um, these words, you know, I like to study deep. I like to study deep into these verses. And the word that he says there to, to not be anxious or to worry, right? Do you know in the Greek language, the word that's used for this word worry means to separate, okay? That's what it means. It means to separate. So when we talk about anxiety, when we talk about worry, um, when we talk about taking the care of something, like he said here in the King James, be careful for nothing. What he's saying is don't be separated. Don't allow yourself to get separated. That's what anxiety does, is, is it separates you. It separates you from making you feel you're alone. You, you, you're on this by yourself. You're, you're the only one that can fix this. You're the only one that can deal with this. You're the only one. You've got to somehow find joy, get your emotions straightened out. Sometime you, somehow you have to, you know, Fix the situation, okay? So to be anxious means that we're dealing with separation. But you notice that in the next verse, he said that after you have prayed, he said that when you have set your supplication with thanksgiving, that then he says the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The word peace here in the Greek language is the, is the Greek word eris, and what it means is to be joined together. It is the polar opposite of anxiety. See, where anxiety separates, peace joins us together. So as we go, and, I, and we can only assume that what he's talking about here is, is that, look, whatever's trying to separate you from God, allow that to be your moment to go to God, put it at his throne, and then allow him to join back together with you in whatever you're dealing with. You know, and that would line up with the book of Romans chapter 8, where it says the spirit of God takes hold together with us against whatever adversity that we're facing. You say, well, I'm just waiting on the Holy Spirit. No, you got to do your part. What's my part? The prayer that you're putting your anxiety. What are you worrying about? What are you frustrated about? And you're putting that before your petitions, your requests, your supplications with thanksgivings, you know, on top of that. 
putting that before the throne of God. I love the, 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 the first Peter chapter five, and it says, cast the whole of your care. Cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you, right? I think that's verse, is it four? I think it's four. Cast your care upon the Lord. And you know, now that when we think about cast, you know, of course we think about fishermen casting, but we don't want any line attached to that care, okay? It's not bait to get God, all right? It's, we, we want to get rid of it, right? Get rid of it. Well, what do I do when I'm worried? Cast it to the Lord. Why would I do that? Because, as it says, he cares for you. See, what happens to the believer is they start getting, when things aren't working out right, we get, and I'm not saying this for everybody, but I've, but I've experienced it, so I'll just talk from my own experience. We start feeling like God doesn't care about us no more. Things aren't going good right now. I'm in a bad place. I don't like this. God, do you even, do you care? I just need to know that you care. Look, there's enough verses in the Bible that we know he does care, even in bad situations, okay? What he tells us is that, look, give it to me because I care about you. I don't want you to care. You're not supposed to carry that. That's not your job. That's not what I need you to do. You stay in your lane. Give it to me. Let me stay in my lane. I'll do the miracle. I'll do the miracle. So what we have to do is cast our care. The Amplified Version says of this verse, cast the whole of your care, all of it, all your anxieties, all your worries, once and for all upon him because he cares about you affectionately and he's watching over you. Will that make me feel better? You better believe it will. You get it off of you and get it where it can get dealt with. There are miracles that we need in the United States and in the world, and there are miracles that we need to have happen in our uh, state of Michigan that you and I cannot do, only God can do. We need to make sure that we're not down here allowing all the weight of the world, which is not ours to carry, that we're allowing the weight of the world to burden us down in such a way that we're not even able to get before him. Look, we're the key. Remember, the church, don't ever forget this. The church is God's power on earth through the Holy Spirit, but it's God's power on earth. It's the greatest force. There will be no Antichrist until the church is taken out. And the only time the Antichrist gets in, in any kind of authority is because the church is snoozing. There are all kinds of things that have happened in our world that have happened because the church was too busy playing around and not established in the authority that we have to pray and to speak the name of Jesus and to stand up for righteousness. And then when it happens, we're all like, oh, I can't believe that happened. But the church was asleep. They were more worried about getting together to sing Kumbaya than they were about doing something about what was going on in the world. Take care of me. That's good preaching, Pastor Wow. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> we said in verse six, he said, stop, stop worrying about even one thing. 
but in everything by prayer, whose essence, is, whose essence is that of worship and devotion, and by supplication, which is a cry for your personal needs. With thanksgiving, let your requests of the things asked for be made known in the presence of God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all power of comprehension, shall mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So look, the only way to combat that anxiety, the only way to combat that worry or that fear is through being joined together with the one who can give you peace. You know, Isaiah 55 verse 8 says in, that it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. But he also says in Proverbs 15 and verse 13, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but a sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. What we have to do to get to the place where we need to be is not just make our requests, but to offer thanksgiving to God that God has got this. This is in your lane, God. You've got this. I don't understand everything that's going on, but God, I do understand this. You're still on the throne you're still the king of kings, and you reign over all. And through that, we can give gratitude to God. You know, they did a study, they, they did a study, and it came out in the positivepsychology.com through their website, and it, they said, what are the things that happen when a person is gracious? Listen to this. Gratitude releases toxic emotions. Gratitude reduces pain. Gratitude improves sleep quality. Gratitude aids in stress regulation. Gratitude reduces anxiety and depression. So in what ways do you and I need to have gratitude operating in our lives? I think it's sometimes on the farm, you know, things get so tough sometimes. I mean, I don't know. You, farming is an interesting life. It just is. I mean, I, I do livestock, but the guys that do the, the guys and gals that do the um, uh, agricultural stuff, oh my goodness, you know. I just remember all the battles that Mark and I prayed through and talked about and, and uh, you know, just the, the challenges that they face. So many uncertainties that they deal with every single week, every single day. You could lose your mind. But see, the, the thing is, is that there's a way to remove the stress and the, the fear and the worry, and that's through gratitude. To be thankful. God, I thank you. I thank you. You know, they, 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 to find that place of being grateful to God for his, that he's in your life. I remember during the polar vortex when I, man, I mean, it was, it was so bad. I mean, it was just, you know, our whole, what it had was the weirdest thing because what had happened was we had all that snow and then it all melted. So then my barn flooded. So now all my animals, because they're on the lower deck, I sound like Noah, don't I? They're on the lower deck. And uh, so we got to try to get them to higher ground so they're out of the water. And then the wind started blowing and the polar vortex came in. You remember that? I mean, it blew so hard and was so cold that I actually had waves that were frozen in my front yard. The water was out in the road. Our front, I mean, up to, I'm glad our house is on a hill because we had water that was at least, it was probably not more than I would guess 100 feet away from our house that was coming up. Our driveway was completely flooded. Well, God, what, you, what do we do? What do I do? This is stressing me out. I can't sleep. I'm upset. Oh, 
Rejoice. You know, so don't you ever, I, don't answer because I don't want God, I don't want you to say, but don't you just sometimes want to say, is there anybody else that's available? <laughs> huh? I mean, don't you feel that way? I mean, you know, come on. Is there somebody else I could talk to that might just pat me on the back and go, it's okay, and you're all right, and I'm okay, you're okay, and we're all going to be fine, it's all going to get better, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> Bet your bottom dollar tomorrow. No, I don't hear that. I hear the song, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I have to rejoice about? Well, one, you got somebody to talk to. Right? I'm talking about God, right? still have access. I still got my wife. Amen. Animals weren't dead. Amen. Barn's still standing. Amen. The waters will rise. The waters will go down. The cold will come. The cold will go away. The vortex came. It stayed a couple of days and then it went away. Life will go on. How are you going to end up at the end of it? What's it going to be like? Are you going to be joined with God? Or are you going to let anxiety separate you from God? You say, well, how do I know if I'm separating from God? The only way you can know is to listen to the words of your own mouth. Where's God? Why isn't God? Why is this? Why is that? What are, instead of giving faith-filled answers, we're giving questioning interjections to God. So I'm going to finish with this verse. If you didn't like any of those, you will not like this one. So it's what I got, okay? If you didn't like those. All right, so, okay, so this guy, Habakkuk, it, they're having a rough time. Drought is in the land. I mean, it's bad. So none of the crops produced at all. Now, remember, for a farming or an agrarian society, that when the crops don't produce, the only thing that you have to eat is whatever's left over from last year. And if you eat what's left over from last year, you have nothing to plant for next year, right? So you got to make a choice in your life. So things are bad. So he, the ground produces nothing. The fruit trees, nothing. No apples, no apple pie, no pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving, no nothing. And there are no, there's no cattle in the stalls, it says. There's no animals. We can't even, we can't even eat hamburger. There's nothing. And what do you do? Well, let, let's look at what he said here. Habakkuk. Now, this is out of the Amplified Version. You can read it in your own. This is at chapter 3, verse 17. So, this is what he said. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there is no fruit on the vines. And though the product of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, and though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls. Here he comes now, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, you know, when you read that on the service, you think this dude has lost his mind. I mean, I want you to think about how we would respond. All right, so let's say that Gratiot County, we had a horrible drought. 
And the drought was so bad, all the cows died. And the drought was so bad that it, would, it affected the whole United States. So all the cattle have died. All of the crops, no corn crops, no soybeans, no beets, no nothing. Everything is gone. No apple trees down. You can't go get cider at Uncle John's. You can't go. There's nothing. There's nothing available. No cherries up in Traverse City. I mean, there's nothing. It's all gone. It's all left. And so what, what, what do we see as the outcome of that? Some farmer standing out in his field, jumping up and down and rejoicing. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think's going on there? That dude has lost his mind. This has so overwhelmed him that it has made him go nuts. Yet, I will rejoice. Well, no, I got to wait till God gives me the joy to do it. No, no, it says, I will. That's his choice. I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you study this word, you, I encourage you to do it. Look in the Hebrew language. The word rejoice here means to jump up and down and spin around clamorously foolish. And you don't even do that on your good days. So <laughs> everything's dead. Nothing, no prospects of a future. Yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the victorious God of my salvation. Now watch what happens here, the shift. Verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. What's the shift? The shift is that he chose, no matter what was going on, to rejoice. That's what Paul was saying. And again, I say, look, rejoice. Go ahead, worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice, rejoice. Now, don't disconnect with me, okay? Stick with me here. I want to sing this song about God reigns. And because... We have an advocate. We're not alone. And no matter how bad it gets here, we have a place with the Father. God loves you. God cares about what's going on. Well, I don't know, will we have enough burger to get through winter? Will we have enough whatever? You know, will, uh, will I have a job? Look, you're asking, you put all that, cast that. Physically throw it to the Lord. God, here, I, I can't carry that. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Right? I remember one time at our house, uh, we were dealing with one of our kids and was with school. And <laughs> Sharon, I said, Sharon, what are we going to do? She goes, I don't know. I, I don't know. She just stood there. I don't know. I said, What do you mean you don't know? She goes, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't deal with it. I don't, I don't know. Now, so for me, what I did is I said, then I'll deal with it. Now watch this. When we surrender to the greater one, I'm not saying I'm greater than Sharon, because look, there have been plenty of times. Look, when our sanctuary was flooded in here, if I didn't have Sharon talking to me, we'd have been in big trouble. I mean, Chuck came in, it was the water was ankle deep right here. 
on Sunday morning right before church. I was freaking out. I mean, it was like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Guess what happened? The greater one stepped in. Now, sometimes you have to get to the place where you say, God, I don't know what to do. And you're exactly where you need to be. Because it's at that point, it's easier to let it go. When you don't know what to do, you're at a place where you can just say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this kid. I don't know what to do about this job. I don't know what to do about the few. I don't know. But God, here's the thing. You do. So I put this before you. I'm not carrying the weight of it anymore. Because God, you reign. You are in authority. Your power and your ability, Lord God, is greater than what I've got. So I turn to the greater one in my time of need. Are you in a time of need in your life right now? Emotionally, physically? Are you in a time of need financially? Is despair and hope trying to be, is despair trying to overtake the hope in your life? God reigns. God is powerful. And I'm not just saying that like he's sovereign and it's all, he's going to make everything. I'm telling you that he's telling us, give it to me so I can do something with it. Stop carrying it. Stop carrying the burden of it. Put it before me. So I want you just to allow the Holy Spirit right now. Greg, if you could shut the sanctuary lights out. Just the, you know what I mean, the chandeliers. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit. Go ahead, you guys. I want you just to listen to the words of this, and then we'll sing it together. Jesus, you reign above it all. 
your pastor, I declare over you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the darkness runs from you. That you are not living your life in fear, but you're living your life in praise. That you have a confident assurance that Jesus is yours. That no matter what you hear or what you see, no matter what happens, nor life, nor death, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, whatever might take place in life, that you will always walk forward, not backward. That your, your light will grow brighter, not darker. 
that darkness will run from you because it sees the light and that God will use you supernaturally to reach out into the darkness of society and to pull those who are bound in oppression, who are bound in fear, who feel no hope and feel there is no future, that God will use you and that light that is within you, like mighty shafts of light, you will reach out your hands to them and pull them literally out of the darkness and the oppression. Hallelujah. I declare over you that your confidence in the mighty God, in almighty God will increase in the days ahead that your thoughts about God will become greater, not smaller, that your thoughts about his power will become, uh, will increase and abound in your life. I declare over you that you're the head and you are not the tail and you are above only and you are not beneath. You are not beneath, no matter what. matter what you reign above it all Lord come on let's sing it again you reign above it all Lord. come at you one way, but they'll run from you seven different ways, says the Lord. Amen. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, whether it's your neighbor, your family, whoever it is, your best friend, no tongue that rises against you in judgment will work against you. It'll be shown to be in the wrong. Thus says the Lord, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Amen.